0: Greetings fiends, Tori and Chell here with another Interview with the Vampire Breakdown. Breakdown? Are we going to break down over this? Probably. Anyway, we're going to be discussing episodes two and three of AMC's Interview with the Vampire. So I just want to go ahead and start by saying, in episode two, Louis eats a fox, right? And he gives a wee speech about being an apex predator. And I finally had an epiphany that this is not Louis. Like, this isn't his personality. So I'm now convinced that AMC Louis is a composite of several vampires from the books, like a dash of Louis, a hefty helping of Armand, (laughs) and some Lestat. Um, I'm just going to have to, like, separate the two, or else I'm going to just be miserably comparing him to book Louis.
1: Yeah, no, I agree completely. And it's kind of funny because in the first episode, I said that, the show felt very separated from the books. Mm-hmm. And then I watched episode two and I was like, okay, the divorce is final. Like <laughs> these are not it has been finalized the books at all. And like the episode two just kind of drove home for me how this is a totally separate beast. Like there is no way it is not following the and vampire lore. It is not following the story the books were telling. The characters mm-hmm. are very different. And again, that's fine. It's its own thing. I can enjoy it as its own thing. But like you, I just kind of have to remind myself, like, they may be calling this guy Louis de Pointe du Dulac. They may be calling Daniel Malloy. Daniel Malloy. But I'm just like, these people are not the same. They are different versions of those characters. And so my approach moving forward is just to try to enjoy it as its own thing and have fun with it. There will be moments of crankiness because I am a cranky person and I can't help
0: it. Yeah. <laughs> but for
1: the most part, I'm just kind of trying to see where the show goes and figure out what story it's telling because it is yeah. obviously very different than the books.
0: Yeah. I mean, and in, I mean, I'm going to be jumping between episodes two and three, like for like some of my thoughts. Sure. But you're right, Tori. I, I had an, I had another thought in episode three that you were like, absolutely right. That Roland Jones, honestly, I don't think he's a fan of the original text. Like, I think he, he's a fan of the books, like from vampire Lestat onward, because he obviously puts a lot more care into Lestat and Lestat is way more in character than Louis. And so I have a funny feeling. He's one of those fans who don't really enjoy the first book And who really think that Louis was like, you know, just a whiny little bitch. I mean, that's possible.
1: But I also think he's not a fan of Daniel Malloy, And I don't know what he thinks of Armand. But given what he's done to Daniel, he's obviously not a fan of that dynamic. So I don't know (laughs) that he's a bigger fan of the later books. I think he likes parts of the story. I really, like I said in the first episode, I really do get the impression that he saw potential in the character of Lestat. And then was just like, I'm going to make my own thing around it. And again, that's fine. Mm -hmm. AO3 is full of that. Mm -hmm. It's just (laughs) weird to watch it on TV. But that's okay. That's what we're here to do. So if you have not listened to our episode where we talk about the pilot, you can go back and listen to that. And we're just going to dive into episode two, which is called... After the phantoms of your former
0: self. My first thought on the first scene of episode two was, okay, I don't think Rashid is Armand.
1: (laughs) No, I don't think he is either. That was one of those random... Like I, I was mostly joking, but also I was like, what if they're really just going to
0: go that way? I think it was sure. Hard. Sure. I mean, there in pilot, is. there was like, you know, like, all right, maybe. And then I was like, no, nah, Armand would never call anyone except maybe himself a god <laughs> unless he like read about method acting and he wanted to pretend that he was Daniel Day Lewis. But that's like a barely big reach. And I don't think Roland Jones has like that kind of fun in him.
1: <laughs> I'll be honest I don't think our mom would call himself a god I think he does not feel that way about anybody, but... anyway we open the first episode and Daniel is looking at a painting and Rashid tells him it's Venetian and the artist is listed as Marius de Romanus. and which you know if you're a fan of the books you know that name so everyone's like oh Marius why Louis has a painting of his is inexplicable if you're going by the books, but we're not. So I'm curious to see if that is like an actual plot point and he has met Marius and knows who he is or if it's just like a little random Easter egg for fans.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I I just I figured like by now he'd probably know him or have met him.
1: Yeah, it's hard to say because we don't know anything about how the timeline progresses. Mm hmm. So Daniel tries to find out a little more about Rashid and he kind of is like are you his servant his lover like what's going on and Rashid says I serve a god and it's an honor to serve <laughs> which okay sure so Louis has this mortal guy who kind of worships him hanging around I guess is the deal and yeah that's Rashid's deal And then Daniel's told he'll have dinner and Louie will join him at course number seven. And he's like, how many courses are there? What the hell is that? Oh, yeah.
0: So like, okay. so then you see like course after course of all these like fancy foods. And I just wrote when I was a food blogger, I definitely had weirder meals in stranger places. So fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. It it does remind me of the scene where Daniel finds Armand in a restaurant and starts like chewing him out as like dish upon dish start arriving, (laughs) and finally Daniel notices and he like looks at Armand like "What the fuck?" and Armand is just like "Mm, "I don't know what you wanted, so I ordered everything." So. it's
1: just like okay (laughs) yeah that's such a fun little scene too it's a fun scene it's like are you trying to drive me insane yes he probably is a little yes but (laughs) yeah just just a little bit
0: just a little just a little crazy
1: (laughs) yeah so while he eats they put plastic wrap on louis side of the table and he's just like he's got this look on his face like i am just gonna eat but i do not know what is happening which is fair and then louis shows up and this is so weird because he he shows up, and then he apologizes for his outburst, and he says that it won't happen again. And I had to go back to the end of episode one and make sure I wasn't forgetting or missed anything, because there is no outburst. So whatever outburst they're referring to is not something we've seen. So I don't know if that was something that, like, there... <sighs> We're going to talk about it. There are a lot of like continuity errors in this episode. So I don't know that the editing on this episode was super solid. So I'm unsure if maybe that was a line that got like left in because they had cut a scene that we didn't see or I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was a little bit weird.
0: Also, Louis drinking out of a wine glass is like kind of like big Lestat energy. Also, he says straight from the farm. And I'm like. It is Duncan Frost. God damn it, AMC. You, you, did you trick me into watching a fucking Blade remake? <laughs> just, I was so annoyed.
1: Well, and like, this doesn't happen quite yet, but let's be clear. He's not drinking out of a glass. He's eating blood like soup. It is weird. Oh, yeah. It is extremely... Not how Ricey and vampires work. So, again, like this episode just jarred me a lot because I was already like, okay, not the books. Got it. I'm on that page. And then they just really like rammed home how much it's not like the books. Like their vampire lore is completely different. These are not yeah. vampires from the Vampire Chronicles. Right. So, anyway, they start the interview again. And like you said,
0: there's a weird farm that we don't really learn anything about. And I have questions. I don't have questions. I'm like, you know what? (laughs) The less I know about this, the better for my sanity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So then we flash back and we see Louis and Lestat are walking through a cemetery and Louis is dying his mortal death. And during this scene, he warns him not to drink dead blood because he is about to like lick some blood off the pavement. And he tells him that drinking dead blood can drag him down into death. So that is something vampires should not do. Louis finishes retching and then all of a sudden is very high on being a vampire which is pretty great mm-hmm. and then they kind of steal the angel thing from the movie where Louis sees the angel it's different but it's, it's very- different and
0: cheaper looking and i'm like that wasn't yeah. as smooth as the movie the movie yeah did really well
1: the movie did it so well. And it's so funny how they just take, like, they're not taking stuff from the books, but they're actively taking stuff from the movie, which just oh my God. cracks
0: me up. <laughs> Cherry picking left and right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So Lestat teaches Louis how to vampire. He teaches him about vampire senses. Obviously, you're hearing your vision. It's all very overwhelming at first. You have to kind of get used to how to meter it out so you don't drive yourself crazy. And then he teaches him how
0: to find good victims who won't be missed. so then we get to get louis first kill the tractor salesman Mm -hmm. messy but hilarious
1: yeah which is it's a pretty funny scene i gotta say
0: (laughs) i do love the stat on the stairs watching him going like bite the neck don't bite the blood like he's all like oh god fuck my life (laughs) i know i will point out well louis is telling daniel
1: this he is actively eating dead blood soup so again that's Mm -hmm. a little bit of a like wait you just told us you can't do this now you're doing that. And I was like, what? Also, I just want to note here that Lestat does use like some mind telepathy with Louis in this scene. That's also going to come up later. Yeah. So after they kill the tractor salesman, poor guy, <laughs> whose daughter wanted a pony and now we'll never get it, which is just tragic. Louis just freaked out and he wants to go home. Mm-hmm. So he decides to walk home in the daytime because these vampires again can be awake during the day which is obviously not like the vampire
0: chronicle books very very buffy verse it's so buffy verse i even made a note i I did too i was like i said then we have more buffy verse reaction to the sun
1: right so as he's walking he gets caught in a patch of sunlight and he like starts to flake into ash and (laughs) there's this milkman there who's like what the fuck and he's like freaking out and louis takes some milk and just like on himself and I was laughing so hard I should not have been laughing but it was just like are you kidding like he's like throwing right. I'm like get out of the sun what are you doing
0: like I, <laughs> I and for me I'm like I guess I like I understand why they chose this instead because collapsing into unconsciousness isn't exactly cinematic sure so I understand why they're going for this but like <laughs> ridiculous well and like
1: i mean i get it if you real like i was talking to nick who is a co-host on my other podcast who is not watching the show but who has to hear about it from me anyway mm-hmm. sorry nick and we were talking about how like clearly they're just trying to make a vampire show That is going to be very TV friendly, as you just said. And Mm -hmm. they're doing stuff that's very like True Blood, Buffy. But yeah, whatever they're trying to make is just definitely more of a television show with all the cool vampire accoutrements that they can throw in. Not necessarily stuff from the books.
0: I do have to say, so like Louis runs back to Lestat's townhouse. And, you know, the stat leads him through it and shows him like his little secret compartment room where the, you know, keeps his coffin. But I have to say, like, this is where I had to pause and go, oh, my God, all of that Art Nouveau interior design and furnishings was like giving me absolute life. So kudos (laughs) to the set dresser and the whole like production team, the art production team. Oh, a plus chef's kiss. Gorgeous. That, yeah, it's absolutely that, gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And the costumes, too. Like The costumes I'm, are great. God, especially oh, like... Louis' stuff is amazing. Yeah.
1: I mean, everything they wear, it just looks really, really good. Really good. In the 1910s. And it's funny, too, because when Louis gets back to the townhouse and Lestat has to let him in, there's like this gate in front of the door. And so mm-hmm. he puts this coat over himself like Spike in Buffy So mm-hmm. like go out in the sun and open I was like, oh, my God, it really is just Buffy. So
0: I did. I saw that. I was like, oh, my God, this is some big spike energy.
1: <laughs> so back in modern day, Louis complains that Lestat pushed him too fast. It's very similar to the books and the stuff that he says. Louis is kind of like, woe is me. I had to kill someone. And Daniel's like, yeah. And that someone had a family and a daughter who wanted a pony and is kind of like snarky about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He also snarks about like white master black student, but you guys were equals in the quiet dark. So he's like, I guess not buying what Louis is saying, and then Louis snarks back about whether he teaches provocation in his internet class.
0: <laughs> and I was like you guys need to calm down. Well, you need to chill out. Well, so I'm. I have a different take on this. So, like, I'm pleased to see that by casting a Black actor, they are not skirting around the topic of race or Black queer theory. I mean, it's coming from Daniel, a white dude, but he does push Louis to talk about the complex dichotomies of being Lestat's fledgling as a Black queer man. So, you know, which then leads to the scene that realizing that he is an apex predator, Louis does not have to adhere to the rules of systemic racism. That he and his forebears have been subjected to. So, you know, I mean, he lashes out and kills an important like white businessman who was condescending to him. But, you know, it's an interesting topic to explore, like a black man who's now a vampire, you know? Sure.
1: Yeah. No, I don't disagree. And I think next episode actually does a better job of, oh, yeah, that. for I think sure. This is just a little bit of a snark fest back and forth. The writing just felt very like
0: dismissive.
1: Yeah. It just felt very like, we're having like a little pissing contest kind of.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So then, like you said, Louis's next course is a little fox puppet. It's not supposed to be a puppet, but it looks like a puppet, at least to me. But I still was just like, oh, and so <laughs> Daniel's trying to eat and he is drinking from a fox puppet, which I feel like cements my theory that Louis is here to show Daniel what being a vampire is and then give him the choice to be one. Yeah. So I think that is what's going on there. And Louis, again, like you said, he talks about being an apex predator. And then he says, but as a new vampire, he did not really take to killing. Mm-hmm. And then we see Lestat and Louis, they're driving in a car. Lestat is wearing a very jaunty hat that I enjoy a lot. So I thought that he wears was fun. lots of jaunty hats. I-, I love them.
0: They're like boaters.
1: Yes. Yeah. Little boater hats. It's It's a good look. And they stop by Finn, who is one of the white guys who has worked for Louis in the past. And he asked if he'll put in a good word to help him run that business that Louis is managing. And Lestat tells him that he only wants the job so he can steal from him. And Louis gets all excited. He's like, wait, you mean we can read minds? How long were you going to sit on that? So he wants to learn how to read minds. And I was like, yeah, definitely not book Louis. But at least this Louis is excited to be a vampire in some ways. So, you know, cool. So he and Lestat walk through the streets and Lestat sort of teaches them how to read thoughts. And he tells them that human thought boils down to three things. I want sex, I want food, and I want to go home. So I listen to a couple people and like Louis gets to practice using his mind powers. And then he asks Lestat to tell him what he's thinking. Lestat's like, well, you're going to have to tell me yourself because... As I have given you the dark gift, we are no longer able to get inside each other's heads. Which again, he already did get inside his head a few scenes ago. So I think that was just one of those things where they maybe just didn't catch it in editing or writing or realize they did it. But it was a little bit of a wait. But you you just did that. So mm-hmm. it was another little thing that kind of threw me. It was weird. Yeah. Again, I just think this episode was... Jumbled, I think is a good word. Yeah, I think that's a good word. I think maybe it was not as cleanly edited or thought out as maybe some of the other
0: ones. So Louis doesn't want to cut ties with his family and he takes Lestat to a family shindig. Louis's mom chastises him for living half a mile away and not coming to visit. I think it's been about two months. I think she says six months. It's been a while. Okay. It's been a while. Louis picks up on his mother's thoughts about his fingernails and glasses, you know, and her kind of thoughts on him being queer And he out loud talks about needing uh, the sunglasses on the advice of an eye doctor, which kind of surprises her because, you know, she didn't say this out loud. He goes inside to find his sister, Grace, and he hears two extra heartbeats coming from her and realizes that she is pregnant with twins. She knows that she is pregnant, but and is surprised that he can sense it. And when he tells her like, oh, it's going to be twins, you know, she's she just dismisses it. But he gives her some money, um, insisting that she take it for preparation for the babies.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she's like, one baby's going to be hard enough. Stop. Mm-hmm. So as I alluded to earlier, uh, Louis Hell's plans for like a new business and this white alderman con- condescends to him and calls him like, oh, an exceptional Negro, which is. Blech. Yeah, it's gross. Um so Louis is like fuck you I'm a predator and uh kills him <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's rightfully offended and disgusted, oh.
1: and and finally just snaps and kills him, which right. good for him, honestly. Good, good for him. For him.
0: <laughs> of course, Lestat is like, dude, like, don't shit where you eat. You know, people are actually gonna like be looking for this guy um, as they burn him in like the incinerator that they have in their courtyard. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Louis has to like again explain fucking race theory to Lestat and be like, dude, you can't like, you are walking through the world way differently than I am even like as a vampire
1: yeah I Um. really liked this exchange I thought it was Mm -hmm. really good like he's just like pointing out the differences and explaining to him why and there's a point where he asks Louis what this man did to offend him and Louis's like he told me I did a good job and he's just Mm -hmm. like you're a mountain of confusion or something really yeah yeah I just thought it was very Lestat it was a very Lestat (laughs) line like it was just like (laughs) and it was just the the whole scene this was one of my favorite scenes mm-hmm. in the show so far and definitely it was my favorite scene in this episode i thought it was a great exchange it was really well done so mm-hmm. good for them
0: so Lestat doesn't want to sleep angry which is that's a fucking hilarious scene so we cut to like two side-by-side coffins in their secret hidden bedroom and Lestat's just like i don't want to fall asleep angry how can i make this up to you and louis like i want to buy the fair play saloon which is where he would go and patronize so it's like the The classier uh house of ill repute. So they buy the saloon and Louis reopens it as the Azalea Hall and he desegregates it and they he makes a shit ton of money, pays Lestat back, and then we get a time skip five years later to 1917. Yep.
1: So Louis goes to visit his sister Grace and she has a new baby boy, she's named him Benny. And she asked Louis if he even met the twins and he says he has not. So it's been a couple, so it's been, it's been five like years. five years and he clearly has not been around his family very much because he hasn't even met her daughters. And he says he's been busy with work. And then Grace is like, and him, implying that he's been busy with his boyfriend. And she's like, is it still the stat? And he's like, yes, it's still the same guy. <laughs> like, So they have a little conversation and then she's like, well, have you eaten? I still have some gumbo on the stove. And he's like, no, no, I'm fine. But she leaves the baby with him to go get him some gumbo. And he totally wants to eat the baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at he's it. very
0: overwhelmed by like the heartbeat and like the life force within mm-hmm. the baby. And I just, I definitely thought of Laszlo
1: and what we do in the shadows. Oh, I know. <laughs> how he turned a baby and how that like, just that's fucked up anyway, which was not the right thing to be thinking. But I was also very scared for the baby safety. And then Grace comes back and you're like, okay, phew, baby's fine. And then the twins start crying or fussing. And so she has to go check on them. So she leaves to deal with that. And he's alone with the baby again. So we jump back to the interview in present day and Louie tells Daniel that he no longer kills. His last victim was in the year 2000. I like
0: your notes here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, my notes here are, do you want a fucking prize? That's still 90 years of murdering.
0: Yeah, I just love that Daniel deadpan is like, did you eat the baby? And he keeps just asking, like, did you eat the baby? Did you eat the baby?
1: (laughs) I know that was pretty funny,
0: but also I have
1: so many questions. Why the year two thousand? What happened then? Like I don't know. I am so curious. What is going on with this timeline? <laughs> like I don't. Know. I feel like that meme of that guy with like the string board <laughs> who's trying to. Oh, put Charlie it Day. Yeah, yeah, the Charlie, Charlie Day, Day string from
0: like String. Board always sunny or whatever. Theory. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like funny. I'm
1: trying to take all these little pieces from the show. I'm like, okay, we've got Marius over here. And we've got Louis stops killing in the year two thousand. Why? And I'm just <laughs> trying to connect all the dots. But to be honest, the show is probably not connecting. I mean, who knows? They may have some master plan. It's just one mm. of those things where I feel like I'm trying to put it all together using these little pieces that they're giving us, and they're probably not even the right pieces. So no, it's probably an exercise in futility. Mm. But Louis tells Daniel that he's mastered his hunger, and then Daniel asks about the other vampires. And Louie's like, most are the opposite. They're slaves to the blood and giddy to increase their numbers. And then Daniel asks if the pandemic is the opening they've been waiting for, which I was just like.
0: Yeah, I'm like what?
1: what? <laughs> like, yeah, it's so weird. It kind of comes out of nowhere. But then Louis kind of agrees that, yes, that and all the turmoil in the world is like this opening for vampires to like do
0: their thing. And this well, like, part. Yeah, like so chaos. This part is
1: so weird to me. So Louis explains the vampire psychic connection where he can hear vampire thoughts from like hundreds and thousands of miles away, which is a Racian thing. So that's something they sort of kept. Mm -hmm. And he mentions there's this brute in Madagascar who calls it the Great Conversion. And basically, it sounds like maybe the plan is that they want to turn most people into vampires or something, which... I I was just like what is happening and I was so glad you brought up Deacon Frost last episode because that was exactly (laughs) where my mind went I'm like right I'm just like
0: well and then I was like and like you I'm like is this somebody we're supposed to know and I'm like is this somebody like this guy in Madagascar I'm like is this somebody in the later books that I have no idea about right
1: maybe because I was like okay well it can't be
0: common and it can't be male and so like who well, then they... I was thinking, is like, my first thought went to Aziz. Okay. But I didn't think that he was in Madagascar.
1: Well, and then I was wondering, like, is this they're in? Like, is this sort of like the seeds of, like, Akasha's plan? And if she's... That's gonna... what I was wondering.
0: So... I was like, is this... I think we're leading up to Queen of the Damned.
1: Yeah, which makes sense, but also doesn't. And it's just so... This whole conversation was incredibly weird. And I just, I spent way too much time thinking about this one scene. Right. <laughs> this and the blood soup. I'm like, what is happening? So <laughs> I was very thrown off. And then it gets weirder because Daniel, who is proving again that he is not booked Daniel, is like, well, people aren't going to want to be vampires. They like afternoon golf. Jimmy Buffett has a whole song about it. And <laughs>
0: I was wondering what the fuck he was talking. I was like. What is this? I what is Daniel trying to say? I rewound that and I was like,
1: huh? yeah, People like to golf in the sunshine, so they're not going to say yes to immortality." And Louie is like, "Oh, yeah, you're going to tell me that." Louie's all,
0: are- "No, dude, we invented nitro mini golf. It's okay." <laughs>
1: like You can golf at night. It's fine. And like Louis tries to say, well, you know, there's impoverished people, people who are having all these struggles. How can you tell me they're not going to say yes to immortality and all these powers and stuff? Which, fine. Again, this is just so divorced from the books in any way that I'm just like, this is the opposite of the arguments the characters would be making, that it just kind of breaks my brain a little. But again, not the book characters. And then... We just get this guy who comes out, and he is apparently course number three. And Louis just like drinks from him, and it's so like Vampire Academy, which is it was another show. This hilarious right
0: though, because he's like literally mid sentence. This guy sits down next to him, and Louis's like blah 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 blah. Hi, Damick. And the guy the guy's like hi. <laughs> yeah, and, he's and then. Snack. He
1: drinks from him, and like even though we were told that
0: being bit by
1: a vampire is like black tar heroin from nineteen seventy eight in Berkeley, this guy is totally fine to have a casual conversation while Louis is like macking on his neck. So he talks to Daniel a little, then he walks away. And again, Daniel's like, "So, did you eat the baby? Everyone wants to know. Come on, give it up, buddy." And then we flash back to the past, and Grace hears the baby scream, and she runs downstairs. And she finds the baby, and he is safe on the floor, has not been hurt. But Louis is gone, and the baby is by himself.
0: Yeah. So Louis runs home. He has a massive crisis over it, saying that he's just like, he had no control. And I mean, he no man- control,
1: but he did manage
0: not to eat the baby. He managed so to eat the no baby, control. but like he was losing it. He was he losing, was losing it. Yeah. And, you know, he laments that he's never going to have a family. And Lestat is just like, completely dismissive in the way that Lestat absolutely is. He's like, uh, but you're wonderful and we should go to Rome. And Louis is just like, how? How does that logistically happen? And Lestat's like, uh, it's a pain in the ass, but it can be done, obviously, because I'm here. And he decides to settle for an Italian opera and he hands them opera tickets. And he has a box and the mad tuxedos made. And this is this is where kind of the crux of the Lestat-Louis relationship does come into play very well because the problem is and what it was substituting for, not uh, like an allegory, I guess, too, is a marriage or a relationship that is not working and you have one partner who really needs, like, You know, it keeps getting gaslit or like he needs or like they need therapy. They need they need something right. They need support. They need emotional support from their partner. And the partner is just like trying to throw shiny new things at them and use distraction as, you know, a technique to keep their partner with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And this will become obviously more and more of an issue.
1: Yes, cuz he's completely dismissing Louis's concerns, which are valid. Absolutely. They're very valid. Yeah. And he's just like, "Okay, well, let's go to Rome. Let's go to the opera. I've got I bought Yeah. I had a tuxedo made for you," which is sweet, but also there there's it's the right It's not addressing
0: like he's not emotionally there for Louis mm-hmm. during this, you know, transition phase.
1: Is that being emotionally distant. I don't believe it. <laughs> the hell you say. <laughs> what? That's so weird. Once Upon a Time, a trio of bards, the narrators three, were called upon to unite the realms with an episode by episode deep dive commentary on the fairy tale laden
0: soap opera, Once Upon a Time. Tune in for weekly retrospect sprinkled with judgmental fondness and hysterical disappointment as the narrators three laugh, throw shade, and have the occasional emotional breakdown. If you find tales of costuming, character takedowns, and plot devices that come with a price utterly charming, the Narrators 3 invite you to join them for Once Upon a Rewatch. Available on all major platforms where podcasts can be found. And then they, we have to kind of go back to our, you know reality of like critical race theory here because like at the opera louis has to pose as lestat's valet so lestat shares with louis that he fears loneliness and that and like the years and decades and such stretched out before him and he just you know desperately does not want louis to leave him Mm -hmm. louis takes that
1: feeling from him so he in the opera box is emotionally vulnerable with louis Mm -hmm. and kind of tells him about these things
0: and he says that there are not many vampires out there. When Louis inquires, he says, mm, maybe a hundred, which at this point, maybe that's not wrong. I don't know. I don't know either. And at least he's giving
1: him a number, which like, I
0: feel like in I feel the book like in, is his, very much the like, book, oh, there
1: are no other vampires. It's just me. And, you know, everyone it's just knows me, that can't be true right? Yeah, exactly. that has and... a living mortal father at that point. So he knows he hasn't always been a vampire. So that lie
0: doesn't really fly, but right Throws it anyway so uh louis says that music is where lestat separated man from food so they're they're watching the comedy uh what is it dawn i forget something I, I didn't write down the name. but of the the, opera. they're the uh, the uh the woman celebrated and she was basically too good for this touring company and the tenor playing ernesto is not good or at least to like lestat's ears and it makes him incredibly angry. Mm -hmm. So after the show, Lestat chats him up and they bring him back to their townhouse where Lestat tortures and humiliates him. And uh, we get the very famous lines, embrace what you are. You are a killer, Louis. And they drain the tenor for hours. Lestat enthralled and Louis pretending to be. Yeah, because the difference between Lestat and Louis has always been that Lestat revels in being a killer, but Louis is really revolted by it. So we cut back to the present, where uh, it's the last course of the meal, which is like an an arrangement of like sorbets and such, and ice cream. And Louis decides to he likes to eat. What what did he say? Like once a week. Yeah. Oh, this is. This
1: is where I just broke down. It's <laughs> like you've got to be kidding me. I'm sorry, this is ridiculous. I don't know. Louis
0: Louis eats the dessert with along with Daniel because he likes to keep a thread. Yeah, and then I think Daniel's it's like, like remembering that he was a mortal man once, and so Daniel wants to know, well, what does it you know taste like? And, he, and Louis responds that it tastes like paste or chalk or soap. Um, but he eats it anyway. He chose this particular dessert because it was mentioned in daniel's book and daniel reveals that that's when he had proposed to his first wife
1: mm-hmm. it was in paris that they ate it and so mm. yeah i just i don't understand the point of a vampire eating human food especially if it tastes like paste to me i was just like i was just like why what is the yeah point? <laughs> yeah like
0: if you're if you're doing it Around a human who knows that you're a vampire and they're fine with it and you're having a casual conversation, whatever. But like, I mean, I understand it from the viewpoint of like saving face, you know, like if you're in public and you are at a dinner with mortals who do not know your true nature, I get it.
1: Yeah, I would get that. I mean, I don't think the rice and vampires can ingest food, so I don't think that's even a possibility for them, which, again, I don't know why a vampire would eat stuff that tastes like soap for funsies, but I guess this is TV Louie's version of self-flagellation or something. (laughs) I'm not sure what's going on. Again, super divorced from the books, totally different beast, and this episode, I feel like, was not that good. What did you think of this episode overall? Meh. Yeah, meh, I feel like is a pretty good. It just it, it was kind of messy. It had some contradictions, so it was confusing. Even if you're not like us trying to like stringboard it to the books in some way, like mm-hmm. just in its own lore, it seemed to contradict itself a little bit, and it just yeah. didn't do
0: much. I feel like I was just gonna say like the only part I enjoyed of this was when Louis bought the Fairplay Saloon, turned it into Azalea Hall desegregated it and took his employees like his best employees from his you know who were working in like i guess you could say like the uh the poor quarter and lifted them up you know that was like the best part of this episode mm-hmm. for me
1: that in that one exchange he has with Lestat. stat oh the yeah, yeah yeah i thought those two parts those were, very two were good. really good yeah the rest of it felt kind of jumbled, confused, and it just felt like we were getting told a lot of stuff instead of being shown it, which for a television show is kind of a weird feeling to walk away with. hmm So that was episode two. And now on to episode three. Episode three, which is called, Is My Very Nature That of the Devil? Which I think these are all lines from the book, the episode yeah. titles.
0: Okay, cool. I'm not just making that up in my head. So Lestat and Louis are sitting in Jackson Square. And Stat spouting off some fun facts about the park. (laughs) (laughs) Including, like, the Louisiana Purchase was signed here. Yeah, when when Louis abruptly reminds him that uh, he's behind on his critical race theory lesson, (laughs) which amuses me to no end. Like, I'm just like, that's right, Louis. You remind him. Remind this white boy, like, where he is. (laughs) So he tells him, like, yeah, they used to put the heads of runaway slaves on pikes in here. (laughs) So Louis then asks if there was like a divine purpose to vampires, but Lestat says it's only to enjoy themselves. He's first suggests that instead of killing mortals, that he would like to kill and eat animals. And then he proposes that they use the mind gift to kill evildoers. Lestat thinks that this is a slippery slope. He believes killing indiscriminately is the only way. Louis asks his lover to just, you know, indulge him. And they go to the slums reading the minds of the various mortals they find until they find a thief. So Lestat impairs the man and... Louis gets cold feet and instead kills the cat. And I have big capital letters that says, Louie, do not eat the cat. Eat the person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Leave the cat alone. Eat the- Leave the cat alone. Eat the thief, not the cat. I know every time. And, I, you know, again, this show is silly. It didn't. A lot of times if a cat dies in something, I'm just like devastated. It didn't bother right. me that much, I think, because it was very quick. And also, it, I mean, it it's an excellent it way
0: for the TV writers to show us the various moral uh, moral conundrums that vampires face,
1: right? Because cats are amazing and should always be
0: protected. and Yeah, I I would hope that <laughs> if and when I am turned finally into a vampire, that I would not sustain myself on animals. I would only go after the people. I'm I'm much more on the list at, side of things. Of like, meh, <laughs> leave the poor animals alone. Yeah. Also, there are
1: enough assholes and evildoers in the world. You can be fine. You don't have yeah. to kill anyone who's innocent and doesn't deserve it, probably. Not that anyone in real life deserves to be murdered. I just want to make a quick caveat that I do not condone murder in any sense because as oh, I talk yeah. about vampires sometimes, I do not
0: condone murder. Murder is bad. It this is podcast wrong. does
1: not agree with murder. Okay. This podcast. Is Please not don't, agree don't write with us murder. letters.
0: We are all innocent <laughs> until proven guilty. All the crimes mentioned are alleged or fictional. Please do not write letters. Please, thank, you.
1: thank you. So at Azalea Hall, Louis and Lestat talk about business and Lestat kind of points out the irony of how like his business may be helping one businessman for every 20 people he kills. He's still kind of trying to convince Louis to come around to his side. I don't know if that's the best argument to make, but it is what it is. And we see this traveling singer named Antoinette Brown and she is singing and then she gets off the stage and the pianist is still kind of playing his jaunty tune. And Lestat heckles him.
0: And we learn that this is Jelly Roll Morton playing the piano. Mm-hmm. So Louis claims that Lestat wrote Wolverine Blues. And in the present, Daniel is dubious. And I have to say, I was about to lose my shit over the rewrite because th- Daniel thankfully saved me from it and the writers corrected themselves. And this is sort of when the show brings up interesting thoughts about the nature of recollection and autobiographies but yeah. it was a very weird point to make because Louis uh, does then kind of backpedal on his memory and and they're using like Wolverine Blues as like an example of that. You know, Daniel's like, what? Come on, come on. And, you know, plays bits of the um, composition and Louis's like, yeah, I think, I guess, I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> Daniel's yeah. like, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. So Lestat did not write Wolverine Blues, by the way. No. (laughs) Did not whitewash that, which I was like, excuse me. (laughs)
1: Yeah, no kidding. And then we get even more excuse me. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) remember how I said that I'm just gonna watch the show and not be cranky, but I did warn you I was gonna be cranky sometimes. Cranky part. Here we go. So Daniel then plays portions of the 1973 interview versus the current one. And he's basically showing the discrepancies of things that Louis said about Lestat in this time in 1973 versus what he's saying now. And he says that Louis has flipped the script in the original story. Lestat came off as his abuser. And now Louis is saying that he's his soulmate. And so Daniel's like, well, which is it? Because that's a huge discrepancy. Louis counters by reading a passage from one of Daniel's books about the folly of memory. He is the scene where Daniel says that he specifically remembers this thing that later is told could not have happened. He didn't own the car. you know, His daughter wouldn't have been in a car seat at that time, that kind of thing. And so in his book, he is talking about the folly of human memory and Louis is just, you know, saying, Hey, see, you understand how this can work. And then he insists that the 1973 interview was a rehearsed performance And the interview he's giving now is the more nuanced tale. And then Daniel takes the cassette tapes from the 1973 interview and literally throws them in the trash, deletes his digital files of that interview, and then Louis sets the tapes on fire with his mind.
0: And Anne Rice is rolling over in her grave. And I actually am very glad she is deceased and cannot see this. I mean,
1: so... I know that I am putting my own personal feelings into this. So I just want to say that I am aware of what I'm doing. But I cannot take that as anything other than Roland Jones's thesis statement, which is Mm -hmm. that the old interview is garbage and I'm doing it better. Yeah. Like, it's so literal. Like, he literally throws the old interview with the vampire in the trash. And I'm just like, are you shitting me?
0: Yeah. It was Come on. He's so fucking full of himself. Like uh...
1: It's just one of those things where like on the face of it it's not really a big deal, but it really just does feel like a little bit of a like I'm flipping you off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I just Okay, I guess this is what we're doing. Right. I mean, we know that you're not really following the books because you've completely changed the vampire lore of how vampires work you've changed a lot of the characters, you're clearly changing the way the story is going to progress, you've changed the timeline, like I get it, it's a different thing, it's your inspired by story that is going to end in a different place, and I understand that, but it just, yeah, I was just like, I had a moment where I had to like pause it, and like get up, and like just walk around my apartment, and be like, okay, that really just happened. So anyway, so we also learned that Louis has what's referred to in the books as the fire gift or like a pyrotelekinesis. So he's able to throw fire and God help us all if Louis has that power. Yeah, really? We, we know how much he likes to use fire to solve his problems. <laughs> and now he has that ability at his fingertips, literally. And so this show is going to get really interesting, if nothing else, because... Yeah, the stats got all the magic, and Louis can throw fire around, so things are going to get heated, probably mm-hmm. literally. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I, I have to say, like, I knew you were going to be pretty salty about this scene, so I was like, I don't even need to add anything. She's going to voice all of my own feelings, <laughs> so this is yeah. Good. It just, I just want you to know that I agree with you completely.
1: Yeah, it just hurts my soul a little because obviously, I mean, it, this is true of a lot of people, but the book really just meant a lot to me as a young person. And also like the character Daniel means a lot to me. And just the, the interview itself, like the fact that he's just like, Oh, Hey, let's literally throw this in the trash and start over,
0: <laughs> which is what this show is. Anyway, I'll have more, <laughs> I'll have more, more co- coherent thoughts. I'm sure as, as time goes on anyway, totally. and we just watched this episode this morning too, yeah. It just
1: came out. So we have not had as much time to ruminate on episode three as episode mm-hmm. two. So in a week, or two, when we come back to do episode four, we may have differing opinions and we may have some corrections or
0: something. No, I just think we're going to be a lot more eloquent with our saltiness. There we go. That's probably more true. Yes. Anyway, Louis starts sustaining himself on rats, but he barely has enough energy to hold up a book. In one scene, Lestat at his townhouse is working with Antoinette to create musical sets. She repeats Rumor's that Lestat and Louis are gay. Lestat does an oopsie and pours champagne down her shirt and they start aggressively making out. And Louis is like, this is my exit. When he returns, he learns that Lestat did not kill Antoinette. He asks if he's enough. Lestat says eternity can get tedious and you need to mix it up. So Louis then says by that logic, he should also be able to sleep with other people. And Lestat says, of course, way too many times and clearly is not super okay. Of course. Of course. Of course. (laughs) No, it's so great too. It was so good. You see the you see the panic behind his eyes of like no, it is not okay. <laughs> uh-huh. No, Sam
1: Reed is so good in this scene because you can just again feel it, and he's like, "Of course, of course," but you can tell it is not. It is it's not, not okay. okay. It is not nope. okay. Nope. He is panicking. It's okay for him to do that, but Louis, pff, no, yeah. not acceptable.
0: Very possessed. You see the possession, the possessiveness mm-hmm. behind his eyes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So, meanwhile, New Orleans passes an ordinance to screw over sex workers of color and ruin businesses like Azalea Hall, Bricktop Williams, his account. Played by Dana Gorier, uh, who we saw also in episode one um, as being one of the sex workers that Louis had on his payroll when he was a pimp in the uh, the lesser refined area. Mm -hmm. she explains to the white businessmen that they made the sex workers of color partial owners so they can petition against the ordinance but the white businessmen including Fenwick says that another ordinance is coming and it's no use and they try to blame world war Mm one and I do want to pause here by saying that the Woodrow Wilson politics may feel out of place to people who never studied World War One. But as someone who did study World War One, that asswipe Woodrow Wilson is the main reason why like our civil rights movements was delayed by so many years because of like these sort of ordinances. Like this is this is not just like an offhand thing that's only affecting like New Orleans. It is affecting the entirety of our country. And it has ramifications that are still seen today especially in our judicial system so Woodrow Wilson was like a total white supremacist he was like one of those like good old southern boys he enacted like Jim Crow laws and he made it just like so difficult for people of color to thrive it's it's a thing look up a world uh, World War One docuseries I think it's on Netflix but it's really good and it'll inform you and you will absolutely come away from it hating Woodrow Wilson
1: Yeah, I think there's a story about him gambling away the White House China. I don't remember if that's true or not, but I do remember he was... Just in all kinds of trouble and
0: not a super, I mean, that was one of the least of the things that he did, you know, Yeah. Oh, but it was, he was like, yeah, just the way guy. he screwed over people of color in this, in this country, because they were, they were becoming like Louis, like where they had like a lot of good, like really businesses, a lot of politicians of color were getting a lot of, you know, say and power and helping to lift up their communities and just everything that that man did was to smash them back down. It was really, it's, it's horrendous. Yeah, And it
1: made it easier for states and cities to do the same thing. Not that they were not doing it on their own already anyway, but Mm -hmm. it didn't help the situation. Right. And I just want to say that Bricktop Williams is my favorite character in this show. She's so good. (laughs) No, she's She's like amazing. She's great. The way she talks back to these guys when they're giving her shit is just like so brilliant. And she Mm -hmm. just makes me happy. I would be happy to have her on my screen the whole show. So I hope she has a large role. Mm hmm as the show goes forward. Although given what happens at the end of this episode, I'm going to guess that she probably does not. But she's right. good. The actress is great.
0: So Louis's old friend Jonah shows up at Azalea Hall. Louis sees Lestat up on the balcony with Antoinette and he decides to uh, play his, well, two can play at this game card and he takes Jonah to the bayou where they flirt and Jonah gives Louis uh, some oral sex, which... Mm. I was like, oh, okay. so it like, you know, at first in episode one, I thought like the sex part was like, you know, euphemism. And now I realized in this episode, absolutely not like they can they can actually have sex, Mm -hmm. which
1: that is one of the changes that does not surprise me because it doesn't
0: surprise me either. They
1: clearly wanted to make a sexy vampire show, and it's hard to do that. If they can't have sex, I mean, I don't think it's hard to do that. I think blood drinking and all that stuff can work fine, but I I kind of get why they made that change. It's just another in a long list where like, if you look at the vampire lore of the books versus the show, it is just completely different.
0: Yeah. And they're like one of the few vampires out there whose bodies are actually dead. Mm -hmm. Like they cannot, you know, they don't have like those reactions and such does not work that way anymore. Yeah. Also,
1: I will say I was terrified for Jonah's safety during the scene because (laughs) maybe Louie was going to lose it and kill him. I did, too. I'm very glad that he got through that alive. Mm hmm. So afterward, in their room, Lestat and Louis talk about Jonah and Antoinette, and he's basically, like, clearly unhappy that Louis went off with Jonah, and Louis points out, well, you've been hanging out with Antoinette, how is she? And he calls her tedious and says that he's bored with her, and those kinds of affairs always flame out, so it was nothing. And then Louis notices that there's mud on Lestat's boots, so he thinks maybe he followed them to the bayou and watched. Which then we get like a little scene with Daniel in the present day where he's like asking if it's raining. Could the mud have been from some, you know, the streets or whatever? And again, right hammering home that idea of like human memory is fallible. So from Jonah Louis had learned that it was the twin's birthday. So he arrives at the family home with some gifts. And when the twins see him, they're in the front yard, they screech and they run, like, he's gonna get us, and they run inside. (laughs) It's a ghost. And Louis' mother comes out and she says that the party was this afternoon. And if he wants to see the family, he needs to visit when people are awake. And he's like, well, it's barely dinner time. It's still very early, but clearly she's not having it. And she sees the devil in him. And Louis kind of moves past her. Levi comes out and stops Louis at the door. But Louis pushes past him and he's trying to get inside and he kicks the door open But he has vampire strength, so it doesn't just open. It literally, like, flies off the hinges inside the house. And the twins are inside, and they scream, and they run into the other room, and Grace is there, and Grace tells them to get out of their house. So Louis goes home, and he finds that the flat is full of soldiers. And Lestat's like, well, you know, since now I know what you like, (laughs) I thought we could have some fun. And Lestat's like playing piano with them. And he's like, yeah, we could have like an orgy and I could, you know, kill some of them, whatever. It could be a good old party. And then he also shows Louis a notice that power has been cut to Azalea Hall. So Louis demands that Lestat get rid of the soldiers and Lestat uses incredibly powerful mind magic to make all the soldiers leave. Like they just suddenly put down their drinks and walk out. It is pretty impressive.
0: It is. And it, and it does show the strain because, like, blood kind of trickles out of his ears. Mm-hmm. He's also wearing a
1: very nice plaid vest. I really like his outfit in the scene. Mm-hmm. So, Lestat admits that he's jealous and he doesn't like to share. He also admits that he watched him with Jonah, and Louis's pretty furious about that. And then he's like, I also watched you kill a dog and then stop and chase two rats down. It's not a <laughs> life. It's not a life, Louis. Louis is upset. He says
0: that he lost his family and now he's going to lose his business. So, Louis and Lestat confront Fenwick and Tom Anderson about how the laws are affecting black business owners uh, but white businesses are still ha ha thriving. Weird, weird how that works. Weird, weird how that's happening. Fenwick's thoughts are gross and racist because they're mind reading. Louis accuses Anderson of selling him the business knowing these laws were coming. Fenwick offers to buy the business for pennies on the dollar, which, of course, is further insulting. Louis puts a colored only sign on his club, <laughs> which William says is a stupid fucking business plan <laughs> in one of the greatest lines. <laughs> so good. I love that she comes in and she's like, mm, that's not a good plan. <laughs> but Louis is trying to antagonize the white business owners on purpose. The city issues a cease and desist against his business. Louis is so distracted, he lets his hunger go. Louis finally has enough and breaks into Fenwick's home. He kills him and leaves only his mutilated body on the gates of Jackson Square with a sign that reads whites only (sighs) sarcastically. Lestat compliments his artistic display and challenges him to admit that he enjoyed it. Louis tells him he'll always be alone. So the murder incites retaliation against the black community and neighborhoods, including people setting fires to Azalea hall and lots of homes Louis walks the streets, taking in the horror of what his decision has wrought. As he passes one home, he hears someone crying for help. He runs into the burning building and sees a girl crouched in the flames. He tells Daniel that he could save her as she would save him, his Claudia, which I'm just like, yee (laughs) <laughs> finally is like your favorite character she so is. she is my favorite character yeah. i'm favorite
1: excited host. to see her too honestly i was kind of surprised that it wasn't sooner but then once i saw this episode i understood why it mm-hmm. happens
0: how it does yeah and he's like in this emotional state he's very hungry that's gonna have ramifications on her you know it's it's gonna be a lot so yeah um, yeah i and do like think- his guilt mm-hmm. over like what he's done to his own community that sort of thing
1: I do think it's an interesting choice that in this version of the story, Claudia's situation is a direct result of something Louis did. Yeah. Because that is obviously not the case in the book. In the book, he just happens to find her and her mom died of the plague and mm-hmm. that just is what it is. Whereas in this case, she's in a burning building because he incited all this violence against the Black community by putting that guy's body on display on the gates by by basically
0: standing up to like
1: the gates of jackson square
0: yeah like a white menacing dude who is taking advantage of these racist laws
1: Mm -hmm. and a very racist system and yeah so that was Mm -hmm. fascinating i thought this episode worked a lot better than the last one yeah i didn't notice any huge continuity stuff if there was anything then it was small enough that it didn't like make me stop and go wait, what? Which like episode 2 I had a lot of those like wait, what moments. So that was good. Yeah. So do you have any other thoughts on the episode
0: or No, um this one was such a was was so much better. It was very it was a lot tighter than episode 2 and they they really are I think rightly so focusing in on the race queer analysis. And that, like, against vampirism and how, like, they play off each other and how they affect one another. And I like that. And I like that take. I think that is a very worthy, interesting take. And I just wish it had, I wish it had focused more on that from the get-go instead of just, like, sort of dangling, like, little, you know, little bits of us and then finally coming to a head here um, I wish they'd more focused on that rather than like, you know, petty saltiness of like setting tapes on fire. <laughs> so, um, but otherwise, yeah, no, I really, I really like this episode. This episode was good.
1: Yeah. I thought it was much better than the last one. And I'm excited to see Claudia in the I'm next one. I'm excited so I think that that for next week. Yeah. I know. I know. It's not like this dread. It's more like, okay, cool. And again, like, I think I really have hit a point of acceptance that this is Mm -hmm. just an incredibly different thing and I can't expect it to follow the books in any real way and that does make it easier for me to like push back and just enjoy it for what it is and just have fun with it like I was joking on Twitter this morning that it felt like watching Saturday morning cartoons because like I was in my pajamas eating cereal and watching vampires and I was like you know what eight-year-old me would be stoked would be stoked right. that this is what I'm doing right now. A 12-year-old me would be, like, out of her mind with joy. So, like, yay. And I think that there Lestat is really on the nose. I think that's the one thing that's a little weird for me still because I can divorce it totally from the books. But then Lestat has so much in common with Book Lestat that I'm mm-hmm. like, it's a little weird because he's, like, in this place and there's all these characters around who don't feel like the characters we know. And so I'm just like, huh, okay. Yeah. But overall, I'm having fun with it. I do have my little quibbles. Uh-huh. As I've pointed out. And I'm always going to be a little, a little unhappy about how they did Daniel Dirty and about the little digs at the interview that they keep making. Although maybe now that they've burned the tapes and Daniel has literally deleted the files off his computer and destroyed it and removed it from existence, they will stop doing that because they don't have it anymore. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I'm excited to see episode four. Me too. I hope it does not disappoint. I'm going to be optimistic that it is. I'm going to be cautiously
0: optimistic.
1: (laughs) Because I think the Claudia stuff is going to be really fun. Just from like the behind the scenes stuff that we've seen, I think that's going to be good. So we'll see how that goes.
0: Yeah. Other than the preview, I'm not watching anything. So yeah, I'm
1: not watching the I watched the little of the preview. I didn't watch the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Mostly because then I had to write this summary, so I didn't really have time. (laughs) Right, right.
0: All right. Well, thank you for coming along this uh, this journey with us. We appreciate it. Please let us know your thoughts and feelings on the show, whether they are positive or negative. It doesn't matter. I have any flavor in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to yep. us on Twitter and Instagram. The links are in the show notes. The schnotes, if you will.
1: <laughs> the schnotes. I love calling them that. I don't know why. It just makes oh. me happy right? The schnotes. The schnotes. Thank you for getting up early on a Sunday and watching the silly vampire show with me so that we can talk about it.
0: Oh, it wasn't too early. I promise. Oh, good. Good, good. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. This is Tori and Chell wishing you a fangtabulous evening with vampire wishes and batty nightmares. This podcast was edited by me, Tori. Our music is edited and
1: mixed by Vikra the Never Living and includes Dark Halloween Night by Chase Allen Willis and Toccata and Fugue in D Minor by Johann Sebastian Bach,
0: performed by Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really want to join our hellish crusade, please leave us five stars on Apple and Spotify. Be sure to tell your favorite blood-sucking themes about vampires ruined my life.